The following program is brought to you by Caltech. Um, today, it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Lawson and to welcome him back to Caltech on behalf of the Keck Institute for Space Studies. Dr. John Lawson is Professor Emeritus of Political Science and International Affairs at George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. He was the founder and longtime director of GW's Space Policy Institute. Dr. Lawson has authored many articles and essays, including John F. Kennedy and the Race to the Moon, The Decision to Go to the Moon, Project Apollo and the National Interest, and even the main article on space exploration on Encyclopedia Britannica. To list just a few of Dr. Lotson's many accomplishments, he served as a member of the Columbia Accident Investigation Board, he is a fellow of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, and the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and he is a member of the International Academy of Astronautics. From September 2008 through August 2009, Dr. Lotson held the Charles A. Lindbergh Chair in Aerospace History at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. He is a highly sought after commentator on space issues who has appeared on all major broadcast and cable networks in addition to the print media. Today, Dr. Lotston will be speaking about his 2010 award-winning study, John F. Kennedy and the Race to the Moon. Please join me in welcoming our speaker, Dr. John Lotston. Thank you, Jason. Uh, looking out at this audience, I see there's enough gray hair uh, in the crowd that some of you actually will remember the origins and evolution of the Apollo program. Others won't. For others of you, it's history. Uh, let me hope I can bring back some of that history and why it happened. Uh, this was, after all, voted by the National Academy of Engineering as the greatest engineering accomplishment of the 20th century. Uh, it's something that's going to live in human history as long as there is human history first voyages of our species off of the home planet. Michelle said it was going to be a talk about space exploration. It's not. It's a talk about politics, because this was a political decision. Space exploration had very little to do with it, and I think you'll see that as we go through. Uh, and uh, I want to end the talk by reflecting a bit on whether there are lessons from the Apollo experience that are relevant to our extremely confused situation today. So let's go. Here, like good military fashion, is the outline of the talk. These are the topics that I intend to address. Uh, let's see if I get through them all. Uh, John Kennedy was a very unlikely president and individual to send Americans to the moon. Uh, as he entered office as, as a a uh, writer very close to him, a man named Hugh Sidey, who was the Time Life bureau chief in, in Washington, said uh, he had less interest and less knowledge in, on space than almost any other issue. Uh, the clearest indication of that was that he gave the job away of running space policy within his administration to his vice president, Lyndon Johnson, who had been very active uh, in the formation of NASA in the early years of the space program. It was kind of, oh, you know, we have Lyndon, he helped us win the election, now let's find something for him to do that isn't all that important so we can get on with our agenda. That changed very quickly, and space very quickly became a Kennedy rather than a Johnson issue, and Johnson, in the three years that Kennedy was president, 
uh, kind of faded into the background on, on this issue. Um, NASA was in a uh, situation of uncertainty that probably could be said almost <laughs> at any point in NASA's history, but it was true uh, at the end of the Eisenhower administration, President Eisenhower uh, was not an enthusiast about human spaceflight. He was not an enthusiast at all about racing the Soviet Union for space achievements. And he refused to fund NASA, uh, NASA's plans for a follow-on to Project Mercury, which was already called Apollo, even though it was just an Earth orbit and potentially circumlunar program as of 1960. Uh, there were rumors that the Air Force would be able to take uh, the space role back from NASA. They had lost it to NASA, and they weren't happy about it. Uh, so there was a great deal of uncertainty uh, about what Kennedy would do, and he added to that uncertainty uh, when confronted in March of 61 with a request by NASA, by the new, very aggressive, hard-charging NASA administrator, James Webb, to provide some money to get started on Apollo and get started on a large rocket engine and a larger rocket to match the Soviet Union in, in lifting power. And Kennedy said, I'm not ready to make that decision. I don't know what I want to do. Come back in the fall. Then, April the 12th, 61, Soviet Union began, uh, became the first nation to... Soviet Union wasn't really a nation. First political entity... Uh, to launch a human into space. Just technically, it wasn't a complete orbit, by the way. Uh, Gagarin parachuted back to the ground. Uh, but that was kept secret, otherwise he wouldn't have gotten credit for the first person to orbit the Earth. Um, the Soviet Union had been slow to recognize the propaganda payoffs from Sputnik. They were not slow to recognize the propaganda payoffs from the Gagarin flight. Uh, Khrushchev said this uh, proves the superiority of the Soviet way of life, the socialist way of life. And again, those of you that are old enough will remember this competition was real. It was a zero-sum game for global leadership between the United States and the Soviet Union. Uh, the countries of the third world were just becoming independent and choosing which social system to organize themselves around. Uh, so this was perceived by President Kennedy and his associates as really a high-stake business, impressing the rest of the world with the power, the success, the attractiveness of the American way of life. And yet the Soviets had done this remarkable thing. Kennedy called his advisors together two nights after the Gagarin flight. It was a Friday evening, April the 14th went around the table and said, well, what can we do? What can we do to catch up? It's very vividly described in a book by Hugh Seide about Kennedy as president, and obviously, therefore, in my book. Uh, and he was told with sufficient effort, enough money, uh, it might be possible to get Americans to the moon and do that first. He wasn't sure. And then the Bay of Pigs intervened in the following four days. And while the Soviet Union was looking very successful before the world, the United States, and particularly its new young leader, looked vacillating, looked weak. It clearly reinforced Kennedy's uh, intention to get something positive uh, on board. On April the 20th, he wrote this rather classic set of requirements. Uh, 
addressing it to Lyndon Johnson, asking Lyndon to conduct a quick review with the operative sentence, find me a space program which promises dramatic results in which we could win. Those of you that are in the requirements business, that's pretty clear, space, dramatic, win. Uh, there's nothing in there about exploration, by the way. Uh, uh, Kennedy had decided to enter and win a space race. Uh, Johnson had two weeks of very intense consultation. He brought in uh, people from all relevant agencies, from the Hill, particularly from the Senate, because he didn't think the House of Representatives made any difference. Uh, this was a day, by the way, time, where the leaders of Congress could lead Congress. They could deliver votes. So if you got the majority leader and the minority leader in the House and the Senate to say, yes, we're behind you, you didn't need a wide consultation with anything like the Tea Party. Uh, uh, Werner von Braun was one of the people consulted, and von Braun gave the technical answer uh, to Kennedy's question, uh, saying that the rocket the Soviets had, they're very trusty, still in use, much modified Soyuz launch vehicle, was not capable of sending people to the surface of the moon and getting them back. Might be able to send them around the moon, but not to the surface of the moon. Therefore, both the United States and the Soviet Union would have to build a large new rocket to get people to the moon. And von Braun, with his usual self-effacement and modesty, said, you got me, we will win. <laughs> and he was right. Uh, you know, it's, it's a baseball legend, Dizzy Dean, that said it's not bragging if you can do it. Uh, and, and von Braun delivered with the Saturn V rocket. Uh, the political rationale was provided in a memo that went to Kennedy on May the 8th, uh, 1961. Uh, and I quoted a couple of sentences out of it. The, again, exploration, not part of this. Enhancing national prestige is part of the battle along the fluid front of the Cold War. Uh, Kennedy, two days later, accepted in principle the recommendation, uh, had the Bureau of the Budget take a look at the costs. Nobody knew what they really would be. Webb had told Kennedy somewhere between 20 and 40 billion. Again, it'd be nice to do cost estimating with that kind of range today, but it's not going to happen. Uh, the one thing that did have to happen for this to be possible was the flight of Alan Shepard, suborbital flight, first U.S. human space flight. Really was supposed to happen before Gagarin. There had been a small problem in the predecessor chimpanzee flight in January. Von Braun insisted on putting in a, a, test, a flight to test the fix with a dummy, dummy spacecraft, which took place on March the 23rd. That was supposed to be Shepard's flight. Interesting counterfactual question. What if Shepard had been first, even if only suborbital? Would Gagarin's flight have had this kind of impact? You know, we'll never know. Kennedy got very much involved in the decision to go forward with the Shepard flight live on television, his, almost all of his advisors said, don't do that so soon after the Bay of Pigs. Don't do it live. Uh, it's too much a risk. One of his advisors, actually a Lyndon Johnson space advisor, said, why postpone a success? 
Kennedy, after thinking about it, agreed with that and went ahead with the decision. And eventually, Shepard was launched very successfully. And on that same day, May the 8th, all the original seven astronauts met Kennedy for the first time um, uh, at the White House. That's, that's the picture on the bottom. The picture on the top, Kennedy was called out of a National Security Council meeting uh, and watched Shepard's launch on, on a little black and white television. Uh, as, as he was watching, Jackie Kennedy walked by, and Kennedy said, come in and take a look at this. Uh, if Shepard's flight had been a failure, could Kennedy three weeks later have gotten up and said, we're going to go to the moon? Hard to know. But it was not a failure. And you've all seen this, but... The dramatic achievements in space which occurred in recent weeks should have made clear to us all, as did the Sputnik in 1957, the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere who are attempting to make a determination of which road they should take. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. So exploration did sneak in there. Uh, people remember that part of the speech. What they don't remember is Kennedy telling the Congress and through the Congress the American public what was going to be involved in terms of sacrifice to get it done. And, and presidents don't do this very much. I believe we should go to the moon. But I think every citizen of this country, as well as the members of the Congress, should consider the matter carefully in making their judgment, to which we've given attention over many weeks and months. Because it is a heavy burden. And uh, there is no sense in uh, agreeing uh, or desiring that the United States take an affirmative position in outer space unless we are prepared to do the work and bear the burdens to make it successful. If we are not, we should decide today and this year. One of the things people, I don't want to say forget, probably don't realize was just the magnitude of the human and financial resources that were mobilized to get to the moon in eight years. Uh, you see the NASA budget increase, 89% the first year, 101% the second year, 40% the third year. That's not going to happen again, certainly not in our lifetime. Uh, a multi-billion dollar investment in building the facilities for Apollo and NASA doubling in size or almost doubling in size and the contractor work workforce almost quadrupling in size. This was a warlike but peaceful mobilization of financial and human resources, kind of without precedent. And I've tried to think of, look for uh, comparable measures, and this is what I came up with, all adjusted to the same dollars. Somehow, I don't believe the Panama Canal number, but maybe people work cheaper then. Uh, uh, the only thing close that I could find was the interstate highway uh, and that uh, project. And that was over the better part of 50 years and financed off budget. Uh, people ask me, well, how does that compare with what we've done since then? And it's interesting. The shuttle costs more than Apollo. 
shuttle is a 40-year program between approval and, and, and its final flight. And uh, just the construction, not the utilization of the space station, was about a third the cost of Apollo. So we've been spending money on space, uh, just not in the same way in the same concentrated uh, short time period. 61 was built really figuring out, uh, spent in figuring out, you know, was this real? Yes. Locating the facilities. Uh, we could talk, if you wish, uh, about why what was then called the Manned Spacecraft Center was in Houston. It was fundamentally a political decision. Uh, the choice of the Saturn V as a launch vehicle, the choice of the Apollo Command and Service Module, the only choice that went over into 1962 was to how to get to the moon. Uh, the contenders were to build even a bigger rocket, just fly directly there, to launch pieces of the spacecraft and assemble them in Earth orbit, called Earth Orbit Rendezvous, or what we now know happened, but was really kind of scary at the time, which was to build a lunar module to go only from lunar orbit down to the surface and back, could be specialized for that job, didn't have to carry the heat shield to re-enter the Earth, and therefore could be extremely fragile because it didn't have to deal with atmospheric pressures or any of that sort of thing. That choice of the lunar orbit rendezvous was not finally made until November of 62, tentatively made in June of 62, strongly opposed by Kennedy's science advisors. And once again, he overruled his advisors and said to NASA, you are responsible for the job, you do it. Kennedy went out in September of 62 as the costs of Apollo were beginning to come, become more apparent. He was wondering, what did I do? <laughs> Let me go take a look at this. Uh, he went to Huntsville, where he had an argument on the lunar orbit rendezvous decision. He went to Florida, to Cape Canaveral, to see the land that was being acquired for the Apollo launch site. Then he went to Houston, uh, and there he made a speech that most people think is when he announced Apollo. Uh, certainly the people in Houston think that. September the 12th, 1961. And on a hot and humid Houston morning, uh, made his most famous space speech. Here's a little of it. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it. He said, because it is there. Well, space is there. And we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Thank you. I think I play a lot of these clips because I like hearing Kennedy's speech. He's such a master of spoken rhetoric. Uh, um, Thought went away there. Um, what he said in public was not what he was saying in private. There was a fight between the person that had been selected to run the Apollo program, an engineer named Brainerd Holmes, and the head of NASA, James Webb, who you see on the right there, over whether 
Webb was giving enough money to Apollo, uh, giving enough priority to Apollo, uh, and, and uh, Holmes went to his friends in Time magazine and leaked a story that said uh, Webb was not honoring Kennedy's priorities and that somebody was going to have to go and it was not necessarily Holmes. Um, this is the sort of thing that Kennedy would have reacted to. And so he called a uh, meeting, you see the date of the meeting, uh, to, to understand what was going on. He had a tape recording system in the cabinet room. I don't know how many of you uh, realize that after the Bay of Pigs, Kennedy put in a tape system to make sure people didn't say anything different than what they had told him in private. This is a little mumbled, so listen hard. This is Kennedy and Webb arguing about uh, how to organize the program. That it could affect the design of the Apollo. Yeah. The other thing is, I would certainly not stay for spending uh, six to seven billion dollars to find out about space, no matter how uh, on the schedule we're doing. I'd spell it out over a five or ten year period. If we could spend it on, why are we spending seven billion dollars on getting fresh water from salt water when we're spending seven billion dollars to find out about space? But so obviously, you wouldn't put it on that priority, except in Many agency heads would argue with presidents with quite that vigor, uh, maybe in the privacy, not realizing they're being taped. I'm listening, uh, as Michelle said in introducing me, I'm doing research on the Richard Nixon and the American Space Program, and that gets me to try to listen to a lot of the Nixon tapes, which were even more mumbled than that. Uh, Nixon mumbled. Uh, a lot more than Kennedy did, cursed a lot more too. Uh, <laughs> there is a kind of urban myth in the space community that Kennedy got up in 61, said, let's go to the moon. Everybody saluted. We provided the resources, and it went straight forward to Apollo 11. Clearly not the case. By the time it became clear that this was going to be real, uh, criticism began to emerge from all parts of the political spectrum. Uh, President Eisenhower, still very respected, called it nuts. Uh, the conservative wing of the Republican Party said the real Soviet challenge is in Earth orbit above our heads. It's their military program. Why are we chasing off to the moon? Why don't we address the real Soviet threat? The liberal uh, a part of the segment said misplaced priorities, the money should be spent on education, housing, uh, social programs, uh, not, not on a stunt. Uh, all of this bothered Kennedy. He took criticism rather seriously. And during uh, 1963, he commissioned three separate reviews of the program and its costs and benefits. 
I don't think he knew, but internal to NASA, it became clear that NASA was having problems meeting the schedule of before the end of the decade. Holmes got fired, and a new man, George Miller, was brought in, and Dr. Miller quickly uh, uh, commissioned a review, and the review came back and said, we'll be lucky to get to the moon before 1971. Uh, and, and Miller made some adjustments in the program. Uh, and Congress had got, become a bit disenchanted and was ready to do a significant budget cut to the NASA budget. Kennedy had two reactions uh, to his concerns. One was going back to a theme from the start, exploring whether he could cooperate with the Soviet Union in going to the moon rather than race, or making Apollo more directly a military program. Let me look at both of those uh, separately. In his inaugural address, Kennedy had said, let it together, let us explore the stars. He was serious. He had picked out space as an area for potential U.S.-Soviet reduction of tensions, area where both countries were clearly in leading roles and maybe they could work together. And in parallel with the decision to go to the moon, he had an exercise of talking about cooperation with the Soviet Union, including going to the moon. And 10 days after announcing his decision to go to the moon, he met Khrushchev for the one and only time, June 3rd and 4th, 61 in Vienna, and at both lunches said, well, why don't we do it together? Why don't we do it together? First lunch, Khrushchev said, well, yeah, maybe. And then overnight, his advisors, his, Khrushchev's advisors, got to him. And when Kennedy raised the idea the next day, he said, uh, Khrushchev said, no way. There the idea lay until uh, late summer 1963, where Kennedy, thinking about all the problems with Apollo and recognizing that the United States was making some progress in overtaking the Soviet Union, decided to go before the UN uh, and say what you'll hear in a minute. Uh, I, I give this talk to NASA audiences, and this has totally been blocked from their collective memory, uh, that, that Kennedy ever said words like this. Finally, in a field where the United States and the Soviet Union have a special capacity in the field of space, there is room for new cooperation, for further joint efforts in the regulation and exploration of space. I include among these possibilities a joint expedition to the moon. What would have happened if Khrushchev had said yes? He was thinking about saying yes in the fall of 63, and if Kennedy had lived. Again, another very interesting uh, counter-historical speculation. Uh, one reality that, that time, this is kind of a sidebar, but an interesting one, is that the Soviet Union in all of Kennedy's presidency did not have a lunar program. It had begun the process of developing a very large launch vehicle, but for multiple purposes, more of them military than civilian, called the N-1. It was not until August 1964 that a formal decision, after a lot of argument internal to the Soviet science and technical community uh, had taken place, that Khrushchev decided, 
uh, yes, we should try to go to the moon, and in fact, we should try to beat the United States to the moon. Uh, lots of reasons why that never happened. The vehicle never was launched successfully. Its chief designer, Sergei Korolev, died during botched surgery. Khrushchev was overthrown. But the reality was that, that as long as John Kennedy was alive, the space race was a one-horse race. Um, so what? <laughs> uh, this was the other thing that Kennedy thought about. Uh, there, there's a tape that's even more mumbled of this meeting on uh, September the 18th, 63. Uh, you can read it. Uh, Kennedy was kind of down on uh, the, the political value of the space program and said, if the Russians don't do something spectacular to dramatize the threat, maybe we should uh, 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 do something with national security, military, rather than prestige on it. Uh, he ordered a review of the program, and that review there were serious considerations given to slowing down and possibly even canceling the program or maybe just launching Saturn V to show we had the powerful rocket without going to the moon. Of all organizations, it was the Bureau of the Budget that said, there's no reason to do that. You know, we've got the money. Unless things have changed dramatically, we think it would be the appropriate thing to do was continue on with the program. Kennedy may have been briefed on that review, but its final, its final uh, appearance was November the 29th, and by then he had been dead a week. Before his assassination, he made one final visit, visit to now called the Launch Operations Center, then called the Launch Operations Center, and now called the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, on November the 16th, was briefed with models of the big vehicle assembly building, the big Saturn V rocket. One of NASA's uh, leaders, the number three person at that time, Bob Siemens, turned out to be a classmate of Kennedy's at Harvard, said it's probably the first time he realized the dimensions of what the program was about. And then he went out to the launch pad where a Saturn I was getting ready to be launched uh, and was briefed by Werner von Braun. Uh, I'd like to show this short video. You'll see why. I can't find the audio. Uh, it'd be nice to be able to listen to Werner. Here comes the book cover. <laughs> What would have Kennedy done if he had lived? This is a speech he made the day before he was assassinated. See what you make out of it. We have a long way to go. Many weeks and months and years of long, tedious work lies ahead. There will be setbacks and frustrations and disappointments. There will be, as there always are, pressures on this country to do less in this area as in so many others, and temptations to do something else that's perhaps easier. But this research here must go on. This space effort must go on. The conquest of space must and will go ahead. 
That much we know. That much we can say with confidence and conviction. Frank O'Connor, the Irish writer, tells in one of his books, How as a Boy, he and his friends would make their way across the countryside. And when they came to an orchard wall that seemed too high and too doubtful to try and too difficult to permit their voyage to continue, they took off their hats and tossed them over the wall. And then they had no choice but to follow them. This nation has tossed its cap over the wall of space, and we have no choice but to follow it. Kennedy's decision to go to the moon and his willingness to implement that decision, unlike uh, the past two times since then that there has been a, a presidential commitment to go to the moon, but no willingness to implement it. We're based on a set of assumptions, each of them challengeable. But I think this was the underpinning of Kennedy's decision, that America had a special mission in the world, and by right was number one. Very liberal view that humans can control nature. Uh, a judgment that space was linked to both hard and soft power, and a willingness to undertake large-scale government-directed projects. Say, these days, all of those assumptions uh, are reasonably challengeable, but I think they were at the core of Kennedy's thinking as he made this decision. Was it a good decision? Well, you know, you get different evaluations of Kennedy as president. The popular assumption of the Camelot Kennedy, you know, a charismatic, small, strong, judicious leader. Uh, but a number of academic critics, I've uh, quoted one there, shallow, cynical, passionless, and vainglorious politician, weak and vulnerable president. It's not the way Kennedy is in most people's memory. And with respect to this decision, one veteran Bureau of the Budget guy said this uh, was a eyes open, knowing what you're in for decision. Leading presidential historian Michael Beschloss said it was panic. Uh, Wally McDougall, diplomatic historian, wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning book about the early years of the space program, and that's his quote, perhaps Apollo could not be justified, but by God we could not not do it. Um, maybe that's the answer. Certainly in terms of Kennedy's intent to impress the world and create a sense of pride among the American people, Apollo has to be measured as success. That picture on the top is the Apollo 11 crew in Mexico City under the sombreros being mobbed by the crowd. They went to 24 countries in 25 days uh, in a round-the-world tour and got that kind of reception everywhere. Uh, Veteran diplomat involved in space issues at that time, Alex Johnson. Uh, uh, Apollo did more to bolster prestige abroad than any single event since the end of World War II. And if you think about what our patriotic symbols are, you know, the flag, bald eagle, and then some space image. And I think number one among those space images is 
in this case, Buzz Aldrin standing next to the American flag on the moon. It's, Apollo gave ro- rise to a cliché, which I think has very little meaning. I think the conditions that made Apollo possible are very unlikely and perhaps impossible to replicate. And that it was a unique convergence of leadership, occasion for decision, uh, objective, like, unlike curing cancer, for example, that was technologically feasible, uh, all came together in one few-week period to make Apollo real. Uh, and so I think the saying, if we could send a man to the moon, we could achieve whatever you want to achieve, basically doesn't mean anything. I suggest that Apollo was bad for the space program. By defining the program as a race, there was no reason to keep racing once you've won. And there was no rationale offered to President Nixon, this is what I'm in the middle of now, for why the United States should continue to spend Apollo-like funds to uh, build a big space station or what was proposed, go to Mars in the 1980s. And so Mr. Nixon said no, and you can see the dramatic decrease in the NASA budget post-Apollo, started by Lyndon Johnson, uh, to a point where it's been relatively steady for uh, now almost 35 years, between 1% and a half a percent of the federal budget. Uh, Apollo stands as a model I think NASA is just getting over an Apollo hangover, uh, but attempts to change it have not been very successful. There have been two proposals, one by George H.W. Bush on the 20th anniversary of Apollo uh, in 1989, and a second by his son in 2004 of returning to the moon, both of them for different reasons, Uh, The first one died stillborn. Uh, The second one, uh, President George W. Bush never provided the money uh, to back up his commitment. We now have a new space policy uh, that calls for going to an asteroid. And if you follow space matters at all closely, and I would expect most of the people in this auditorium do, you know that has not commanded much enthusiasm. Mr. Uh, Obama, I thought, rather unfortunately, dissed the moon. I understand that some believe that we should attempt a return to the surface of the moon first, as previously planned. But I, I, I just have to say, Uh, pretty bluntly here. We've been there before. Buzz has been there. There's a lot more of space to explore and a lot more to learn when we do. So I believe it's more important to ramp up our capabilities to reach and operate at a series of increasingly demanding targets while advancing our technological capabilities with each step forward. And that's what this strategy does. And that's how we will ensure that our leadership in space is even stronger in this new century than it was in the last.
I'm just not sure, after over 45 years of close attention to the U.S. space program, whether we have the political will to move forward with a sustainable program of human spaceflight. The argument, in its essence, is about why humans and where they should go or not go. Uh, secondary, a second argument about the nature of robotic exploration, which we can talk about, but really doesn't follow too much from, from this line of discussion. My one escape route from the current lack of political will could be an, forming an international coalition for space exploration. And here, September the 20th, 1963, is John Kennedy. Why, therefore, should man's first flight to the moon be a matter of national competition? Why should the United States and the Soviet Union, in preparing for such expeditions, become involved in immense duplications of research, construction, and expenditure? Surely we should explore whether the scientists and astronauts of our two countries, indeed of all the world, cannot work together in the conquest of space. Sending some day in this decade to the moon, not the representatives of a single nation, but the representatives of all of our countries. Well, Kennedy was a little ahead of his time, but maybe in the 21st century something like that can be done. Without it, I do not think that, that uh, sustainable human exploration is a very likely outcome. Still, we did Apollo, six lunar landings, Apollo 8, Christmas time, 1968, uh, took this uh, iconic picture of the Earth rising over the moon, uh, which has had a remarkable impact here on Earth. Um, those of us that lived through that uh, period, uh, I think, uh, view it as a remarkable part of our own history. Um, I'm a little prejudiced. My first launch was Apollo 11, uh, and so, you know, nothing going to replace that. Uh, and I think it's something over the span of human history, or at least the span of, of, of uh, written human history, it's one of the things that Kennedy is going to be most remembered for. Let me let him have the last word. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Thank you.